You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. Listen, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, it says this. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. You know, I think about the series that we're teaching, uh, Unlikely People in Unlikely Places, that, man, God always has chosen what looked small or insignificant or looked like there's no way that it was too far away, it was too far gone to ever be used of God. Lives like that, people like that, situations like that, but he's always done it. You think about what he did. He took Abraham, who was a, his dad was an idol worshiper and an idol maker, and that's the one who launched the children of Israel. He took them out of a land where all they did was worship idols. And he he takes something that looks, looks insignificant or too far away from him, and when he touches it, it changes everything. He took a, you know, it's always amazing to me how he does this. He took a little boy that's like 11, 12 years old with a slingshot, and he has him kill a giant, and this little boy's never fought a human being ever. (coughs) Never been in a battle, never been in a war. He killed a lion and a bear, but never fought a human being, never been in a battle or a war, never even seen one. He's the one that stands up to a giant, and the Bible specifically says this for a reason, that The giant, Goliath, was a warrior since he was a kid. He was trained to be a warrior all his life, and he's huge. He's massive and fought many wars, and God takes a little boy to kill that giant. It always blows my mind how God does things like that. And he does it over and over again. Then he says this, a mustard seed of faith will move a mountain. This little thing over here will move a mountain. Then he takes a lamb, the lamb of God, to defeat the dragon. How many of you would say, if there was a big dragon, you'd say, hey, let's send some lambs out? That's what God did. He took his holy blood and defeated all of sin and death. It's amazing what God does with things like that. Unlikely people, unlikely places doing unlikely things. It's always amazed me. And we have a couple, the reason the stage is set up like this differently this morning, because we have a couple from our church that didn't start, they, they're not from Roswell, they, they are now, they live in Roswell, have been here for quite some time, but man, they're, they're a really unlikely people, an unlikely couple, unlikely family to be doing what they're doing now. And so I want to share your story with them, so I, I would ask you to... Uh, help me give a great Church on the Move welcome to one of our own, uh, Tomas and Shirley Sinna. Come on, Tomas and Shirley. I think they're coming out. Oh, there they are. Guys had me concerned for a minute. I thought, maybe you're not coming out for second service. You did such a great job in first service. And so... Uh, Man, um, we were praying the other day, and our staff was talking in our creative meetings, and man, we we start thinking about, we have so many great testimonies in our church, and man, your name came up, and I thought, yeah, that's one I want to tell, because I know where you're from, and I have some stats of where you're from. 
you're from Espanola, and anybody from New Mexico, um, if you uh, if you're not from, even if you may be from Espanola, but if you're not from Espanola, man, when I think as a New Mexican, when I think about Espanola, man, I've I've ministered there, I've done a funeral there, I've been there, uh, driven through there, uh, man, you don't think very highly. Honestly, you don't. Espanola's not highly regarded as a community. Um, in 2012, they were listed uh, as the most dangerous city in New Mexico based on crime stats. I mean, just based on the crime stats alone, uh, it's higher than 99.5% of all cities, all cities in New Mexico. Not just New Mexico, in the U.S., in the whole United States. And I want to read this one to you. 2020, current crime rate of 69.1 per 1,000 residents. Espanola has one of the highest crime rates in America compared to all the communities of all sizes. From the smallest towns to the very largest cities, one, one's chance of becoming a victim of either violent or property crime here is 1 in 15. The poverty rate in Espanola is at uh, 24%. The, the national average is 12.3%, double the poverty rate. And the poverty rate is highest among females, 55 to 64, and females, 25 to 34. We're going to talk about that, uh, why that is in Espanola. But the drugs, the alcohol, the generational abuse, I've heard it over and over from people from Espanola. And that's where Tomas and Shirley were both born at and and raised. And so we're going to talk about their story coming from an unlikely place to another unlikely place, Roswell, um, and what God has done and, and what he's done in your life. So, Tomas, let's start with you again. Um, so, Tomas, tell us about your childhood and kind of the things you went through and what happened to you. So, as a child, I was born, of course, in Espanola, but I was raised in the church. I was raised in the church from as long as I can remember, till about 14 years old. And of course, I was drugged to church. But we did Assemblies of God, and Assemblies of God, we, we did a lot of, of scriptures, um, Royal Rangers, we were involved in the Royal Rangers. Well, actually, as I started to grow up to the age of that, that age, I started seeing how my dad was different than what he preached in church. So he would act a certain way in church and act a different way at home. So at 14, I was 14, 15, I was, I was on my own. I was getting into, into junior high school and started doing drugs and decided I was done with the, the life at home. So I left, I left home. and I, You left home at 15? At 15 years old, I left home and I went to the streets. I was in the streets and, of course, with friends and whoever I could stay with and started doing drugs. I started doing heavy drugs at about 16. I started smoking cocaine and selling it, gang banging. It was just the downhill spiral from there. It wasn't it wasn't anything good after that. So So, you know, when we talk about and I'm gonna ask you a little bit more right now, but guys, this is why it's so important when I talk about integrity that your home life in your your church life, your public life has to be the same. Uh, in a good way. Because when kids see hypocrisy, that's the reason I left the church right around the same age. I saw all the hypocrisy of, of these people claiming to be Christians that didn't live like it. 
in, uh, and so I'd see him at parties or I'd see him doing stuff. Uh, I'd see him coming out of package stores with grocery carts full of alcohol, you know, and then they're telling us not to drink and not to do this. And I saw the hypocrisy of that just like he did. His mom was a good Christian, but man, we look to our dads a lot of times to, for our Christianity. And that's why dad's in this room. That's why it's important you go to Forge. That's why you're important you come to men's prayer. That's why you're important you come to church. That you're the, because ultimately you're going to have the biggest impact on your wife and on your children uh, of either parent. You're going to have the biggest impact. And you see where this led, this, this hypocrisy, not having integrity, being the same at church as you are at home, not having that integrity. That hypocrisy led to him just leaving home at 15 and going straight into the world. Up to that point, had you done drugs or anything? No, I hadn't done anything. I was actually really good with scripture verses. We'd practice it really well, and which led me through a lot of my hard time because every time I was high or coming down, I would, I would remember that. I'd remember that and call on, on the word God. of God was still in there. It was there. It was hidden, but it was there. And I remembered it when I was coming off of drugs. I would, I would call out to God, why, why am I? Why am I going through this? Take this from me. But next day I'd get up and do the same thing all over again. It wasn't, it wasn't anything that was a relationship. It was more of something that I had been ingrained in my head versus knowing that he could take me out of that. So it wasn't, it was just normal for me to be in that, in that area. So I got really good at it. I got really good at doing wrong, doing the wrong thing. Yeah, we talked drugs. about practicing sin. God says practicing don't practice sin, sin to yeah. get good at it. In and out but of you jail. were practicing. Oh, yeah, definitely. As the judges hated me. The cops didn't like me. They knew me by name. I mean, they, every time they seen me, I was into something. So the judge, last time I seen the judge, he told me, yeah, you're going to prison. You're going to prison next time I see you. So um, I tried to change scenery, I guess, and move to Roswell. <laughs> <laughs> before you went the, to prison? Before I went to prison. The scenery, the scenery changed me, I think. So I got, in, I got invited to to visit Roswell by Sandra and Matthew Rael. Let, let me stop you right there before we go to that. Let's go to Shirley real quick. Shirley, so you were raised different. You weren't raised in a, a Christian church. You were raised uh, Catholic. And uh, Catholics are Christians too, a lot of them. Uh, but uh, so t you, you were raised differently. And you had a different environment. Um, and your father was different, but it had a major impact on your life too. Tell us about that, Shirley, your early years. So I was raised... Catholic. Um, Can you hold that just a little closer? Thank you. So I was raised Catholic, and I had five siblings. Uh, my parents, my dad was a really bad alcoholic. Um, they were divorced at when I was seven years old. Um, my dad was very abusive to my mom. So at night, we basically had to sleep with our shoes on ready to run when he got home. And um, we, my uh, uncle at the time was building a home and he had an attic that we would have to climb up when we'd run from my dad to hide where my mom had uh, snacks ready in case any of us kids got hungry. And so let me stop you right there. So when your dad would come home drunk, your mom would grab you guys, wake you up out of bed. You slept with your shoes on. You take off running down to this other house. You climb up in that attic where she was storing food just so you guys would have something to eat while you were up there. Yes. Is that much fear? It was because a lot of times he, um, 
would get angry with us because we were trying to help her get out of the house. And it was basically my older sister that kind of got the bad part of the, um, I guess, the abuse too because she had to try and make sure to get us all into the attic. So your mom and your older sister took a lot of the, the punishment, the abuse yes. from your father. Yes. So your parents divorced at seven. Did it stop at seven? Or would he come back into the home? And what, what happened after that? Um, he really never left us alone. Uh, basically, he was always watching my mom, making sure she was in with somebody else or whatever. So he really never left us alone. Wow. So after he left, though, what happened to y'all's finances How'd you guys live? How'd you make a living? What'd your mom do as far as, because this, in this stat in Espanola, it's probably the same way all around New Mexico. Women those ages, are, they're, they're poor. Yes. They're in that poverty level because of these, the dads that aren't there to support them. Because the number one cause of poverty in America is divorce. Number one cause of poverty. Yeah. Um, a lot of times, like when my parents were still together, um, my dad was so drunk that he couldn't even go show up to work. So I remember my mom and one of my dad's brothers would actually go do his job for him just so that she would get the paychecks to pay our bills and to buy us what we needed. And when my dad was out of the picture, then so my mom had to go and get uh, food stamps. So back assistance. up, I want people to understand what you just said. So your dad cleaned the school or something. Yes, he was a And so he was the janitor. And so he would get drunk and not show up, and your mom would show up and clean it to yes. make sure he got his check. Yes. And so what, so what were you going to say next? I'm sorry. Um, you were talking about that whole process. Of, and then would, he, would you guys get the money, or how, else would she, how would your mom get any kind of income to feed you guys? Well, she'd get, make sure she'd get his check from him, and then... Later on, she would also go for, like, food stamps, cash assistance, uh, commodities, anything that she could get to help us to get the food that we needed and clothes and stuff. And, you know, guys, I believe in our country that we help people, and this is why we help. This is why we help, because there's a mama with five kids and a man who won't take care of his business. Men, we are the key. Men, we are the key. Let me say it again. Men, we are the key. We we're the key to God's kingdom being established on the earth. We're the key to a healthy family. We're the key. Men, we are the key. And it comes with a, you know, being a man is a, is a blessing, but it comes with a responsibility to be that key that, that leads our families to God, not away from God. You know, we have two men here, one that was trying one, but they're both got alcohol issues. They're both not living right. And in the impact, whether it's a church kid or someone that's not really raised to go to church a lot, it doesn't matter. It's having the same, they ended up in the same place together, doing the same things. And so how did you guys meet Tomas? How did you and Shirley meet? So my brother is married to her sister. And that's how we ended up meeting. Typical Espanola small Espanola. town, right? Espanola. <laughs> my cousin, my cousin's wife's my cousin who's my, you know. I don't think it's too hillbilly, but it's, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty close. <laughs> Everybody's related. You guys are probably six cousins or we something, might, man. Don't even be. know. <laughs> might be, you never know. 
But I ended up helping my brother move some stuff, and, and that's when I met Shirley. And Thought she was good looking. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we started dating. At the, t at the time, I was actually in a lot of trouble. I had just gotten caught doing some stuff, and I got let out of jail on house arrest. So I was on house arrest, and I had to get forced back into my mom's house because, of course, I was a minor. And that's, so it made you go back to that. It made me go back home. I, didn't, I by no means wanted to go back home. That wasn't the life for me. I didn't want to be there. But, of course, if I didn't go home, I was going to go to jail. So better than going to jail. Eat mama's I, cooking. I thought go to mom's house, but <laughs> she's pretty strict too. So, But uh, I, I ended up meeting Shirley, and, and that was the only one that my mom actually trusted was her. When I met her, she had a daughter that was uh, four years old. So when I got into a race, she was already established with a house, a car, and she was, of course, that's why my mom liked her, I'm guessing, because she was already... <laughs> She's gonna That's why get you me. liked her some too, huh? Oh, yeah. She had, she had a car. <laughs> in a house. In a job. And, and she had a, a job. So when she was at work, I was on her car. <laughs> that was the whole thing. But, but it turned out to, when I, when I met her, is when I actually started getting out of, of the life slowly. Well, hiding it better, should I say, because I wasn't getting out of it. I was just, I was hiding it, trying to pretend I wasn't in that life, but I, w I really was. So I drug her through a lot of the same things that she had already previously had went through. And it just turned into, it was still chaotic. It was still, it was still bad. But through, through all of that, I mean, she's, she's tough. She's really tough. She and I is. took, I took her daughter through so much with my daughter. I've raised her since she was, since she was four years old. And she went through a lot of crazy, crazy situations with me because I still partied. I still did a lot of things. I was, I was telling you one time on that uh, story that I, had, I was at the bar with her and we were, we were in my car and I was drunk. I wasn't super drunk because I was still driving. Your daughter. My daughter was with me. She was really young. And she had, you had her in the bar. I had her, I had her with us, yeah. And there was a bunch of us and they, a fight broke out and one of my cousins got sliced open from stomach from one end to the other of the stomach and just blood pouring out. She's seen all of this. I'm driving 100 miles an hour down to the hospital with her in the car, no buckle, just everybody drunk, drinking. So she went through all of that and seen everything. She reminds me of stuff that I don't remember now in these years. So I kind of really impacted her life through the whole through the whole thing. So know? the cycle was... The cycle was continuing. Going. And her, just, her biological dad wasn't in the picture either. No, he was... He was on drugs and alcohol. Yeah. And so that cycle, Satan loves to get those generational curses. But guess what? You guys broke it. We broke we it We broke the curse. God, God is good because he did bring me from, from that situation to the situation I'm in now. And it's completely different, a completely different situation that we're in. But it took a lot to get to where we're at now with our relationship with, with Christ and, and each other. So, Shirley, you, you told the story that um, when you guys had come to Roswell for the first time to visit Matthew and Sandra Rael. Are they here? Are they in second service? Where's Matthew and Sandra? Wait a minute. I think, I think they're out of town. Actually. Oh, they're out of town. Uh, but anyway, Matthew and Sandra are also from Española. Yes. God called them out, and they have an unbelievable testimony, too, yes. coming from there. And, but you had actually told him when you were visiting here, you were at a hotel. You guys were at a hotel here, and you actually told them, man, I'm, I'm done. 
I'm, I want a divorce. Tell us about how you felt about him and what the cycle was. And now you have two kids. You have Dominic now too. Just what you were thinking at that time about your life with him. Okay, so like uh, we came up that Thursday for to see Sandra and Matthew. And we were in the pool and I was already really upset with the life I was going through with Tomas because I had already gone through it with someone else. So we were in the pool and I came up to him and I told him, um, you need to make a decision. It's either your drugs or me and the kids because I'm not putting up with this a second time. I already raised a daughter alone and I know I can do it again with the second child, but I don't want to. So um, I told him, you need to figure out what you want or I'm filing for a divorce when we get back to Espanola. So that's where you guys were. Drugs, alcohol, chaos. You were filing for divorce. You were going to be another, like your mom, alone raising kids by yourself. You know, another man that didn't do what's right. You're not doing what's right either, though. You're, you're kind of participating in drinking and doing some of the stuff, too. You're just a little smarter than he is, so you're a little more stable. Yeah. <laughs> she's, still, she's still smarter. <laughs> you're smart men to say that to my... And stable. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's where you guys are. You come and visit your cousin. Now, why did you come and visit Sandra and Matthew? Because tell, tell us about your relationship with Sandra and your cousin. So back in the day when Sandra lived in Española, we used to party a lot. We used to do a lot of partying together. And that's how it impacted me when she came. So I, was, I never hung out. I have four other brothers. We're five brothers all alone. My mom raised five boys pretty much on her own. My dad was around just when he wasn't in, the, in his life too. So, But she raised five boys on her own. And out of all those five, I was pretty much the worst out of all of them. We're all, we were all bad, but I was, I was really bad. And I would never hang out with my brothers because they always reminded me that I was doing bad. And my mom reminded me I was doing bad. So and I really, never, they were drinking and stuff too. They just weren't doing all they the weren't drugs. Doing, yeah, they weren't doing hard drugs. They would drink. That was normal life, Espanola life. But... So that, that day, God put me in that area, which I didn't know then, but I know now that it was God that brought me to her mom and her dad own a piece of land right by where my brothers were, were at. At the time, they were messing with some horses. So I ended up there, and Sandra pulls up, and man, I hadn't seen her in years, and had to have been, gosh, 17 years maybe. It was, it was quite a while. And when I seen her, it was just like seeing her all over again. So we started talking, and we went for a ride on the horse, and she started talking to me. Mind you, before this, anybody talked to me about Christ, and it was, I didn't want to hear anything about Christ. I already knew the Christ life. I didn't want nothing to do with it. And she started talking to me about, we, we went walking, and it, it was a while. Is it later on, she told me that it was kind of hard that she talked to me. She knew who I was. And after a little bit of writing, she actually came up, and she said, hey, started talking. I don't remember exact words, but she started talking to me about Jesus, and I didn't say nothing. And I usually would. I would always say, I don't want to hear nothing about that. And I never said a word. I just kept my head down, and we kept walking with the horses, and I just started crying. And my eyes were just... We yeah, just, first service, you said your eyes started My crying. eyes were hurting and got some dirt in them. Because <laughs> he started, wasn't crying, just his eyes My were eyes crying. were crying. <laughs> and I never, said, I never said anything to her. I never said... Now, why didn't you say anything to her? Because of that, you guys used to party together. Because we used to party together. I think it was because I knew who she was 
back in the day and who she is now. And I was like, man, this didn't make sense to me. So I just listened to everything she said. We went for a ride, we came back and, and she said, you guys need to come visit us in Roswell. And that's how the whole Roswell thing came up. Cause we were always trying to go north. Me and Shirley were always trying to get out of Española, but we never could, the doors never open. God never allowed that to happen. So every time we tried to leave, it would just shut itself down. We couldn't do it. So when we came to Roswell, everything was right. Our income tax check fell in the right time. Everything was like perfect, doors opened. So we came up just to visit for the weekend. Well, that weekend I came up here, came to church, and this one church on the move was across the street. This was 20 years, going on 20 years 20 ago. Years. And we, we walked into the church, and Sandra invited us to the church. And that was a Thursday that we came. She went back home on Sunday. I stayed up here looking for work. I remember sitting in the service. I was sitting in the service, and, and I was sitting there mad because I was just super upset. After service, I told Sandra, how dare you tell the pastor of my life? How dare you? I was so Anybody mad. Anybody ever felt that way before? You feel like you're getting talked to? I was, I was so angry. I, I didn't even, know anything. I didn't even remember the service. Honestly, I didn't remember anything that Pastor Troy talked you about. But I was so upset because Pastor Troy was staring right in my eyes. And he was, <laughs> he was talking about my life. And I was like, man, this is, it was upsetting. So I left that day from service. And I told Sandra, how dare you talk to the pastor about me? Well, she told me, Tomas, I promise I didn't say anything. He didn't say a word. And that's kind of what really broke me to know that there is a God that knows what I'm going through. Amen. You know, so. God did it right, man. He's so good, man. Sandra actually cried when she was telling you, Tomas, I didn't do it. Yes. I didn't tell him anything. Definitely. She started weeping because she knew. She knew exactly what was going on. I didn't know. I just thought she was talking to you, and they, this was a big <laughs> conspiracy to bring me to church, you know? And I was like, wow, okay. Yeah, we still call it the Tomas Senna conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so after that is when I said, you know what? This, is, this has to be real. This has to be real. Because I seen her life drastically change. Because I seen from where she was, she was on food stamps, same thing. Same exact situation. She Shirley had kids. Was in, her mom. She, was she had two poverty. kids. She was on welfare. She was living in a trailer home, in a trailer park. It was just the same thing. And then to see her life now was completely different. I was like, what is this? Her and Matthew were here making it. I was like, wow, there, there is a chance. <laughs> you know, so... I ended, up, I ended up sending Shirley home. I said, Cassandra said, why don't you stay here and look for a job? That was, first of all, what? <laughs> There's no way. T tell them about your qualifications. So I dropped out of school when I started seventh grade. Before seventh grade, I was a troublemaker. I have dyslexia. So I was never, back in those days, it, it, nobody knew what that was. That was just, he's acting out. He didn't know what. So I was just swapped from school to school. And then I ended up, of course, getting into to junior highs when I started doing drugs. And at that point I said, what's the use? I'm not learning nothing here, I'm getting in trouble. I'd fight all the time. I was either kicked out of school because I was fighting or in trouble doing something. So I just, I pleaded with the judge because at that point I was already on probation because I'd already started doing stuff. So I pleaded with the judge, you guys keep sending me back to school and I keep getting back in trouble. Just let me go to work. So I ended up, the judge actually granted me at 15, 16 years old to go to work. So I went to work, and of course, that didn't change anything. I just had money to do it now. 
So, so after that, it was just, it was, it was a never breaking cycle. I just kept going into the drugs, getting deeper and deeper into the drugs and getting more in trouble. And as life went on, I just started being really good at it. It was, it was amazing because I could sell drugs and make money. And, it was and so fast. when you came here, that's what you were used to is doing that. So you have these, these are your qualifications. I'm on drugs. Nothing. I'm drinking. I have no a seventh education. grade education. Yeah. And now I'm looking for a job. What and did God no, do? Yeah, there's no way that I'm going to get a job out here because I don't have a driver's license. I don't have an education. I can barely read or write. So there's, Surely there's you had nothing. a driver's license, right? She did. Yeah. <laughs> but she never drove. I still drove. She I was the adult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when I, when I came out here, actually when I started working, uh, coming to church on the move is when doors started opening. Found somebody that went to church here that offered me a job. I'm like, cool, awesome. That's, that'll work. Uh, the house that, that where I was staying was with Matthew and Sandra. The house next door to them, they had told me that that thing had been vacant for, for years. Matthew had tried buying it, never was for sale. Uh, one day, the, the gentleman that owned it was there mowing his lawn, and I wa- walked over there. I said, let me help you mow your lawn. We started talking. I said, would you be interested in selling it? He says, as a matter of fact, I would. He door held after just door door, after door. Doors were opening. He held actually the title because I didn't have credit. I didn't have anything. He said, well, I'll hold the title for you. Just pay me rent, rent to own. I said, oh, man, perfect. So we started, started working. He told her, pack your stuff. I'm going to go pick you up next Next week, I got a job. I got a house. This was 20 years ago. We ain't turned back. I so never what are left. you thinking? Yeah, God's good. So what are you thinking, Shirley? He says, pack up. Come, we're moving to Roswell. You'd never been really out of Española. And you were a mama's girl. He didn't ever, you know. They'd say that everybody would go out and Shirley would stay home to be with her mom. So they were shocked you were moving, your family was. So what did you think about the move down here? Talk about that. What, what was going through your mind? Why would you even do it? Um, at the time, I guess I just wanted change. So um, I was willing to do it. Just to try. Just to try. And, um, and it's true, I never wanted to even leave my mom's side, not even to go and hang out with my cousins or anything. I was so stuck on my mom, but um, in my mind, I was thinking of us, our life, our kids, and I was willing to try it. So you packed up, moved down here, and then, you know, you started coming to church too. What happened, what, or actually you started coming to church, but you, you were led to Jesus by Sandra. Tell us about that. Okay, so yes, we, we moved in August. Um, by August 18th, actually. It's our son's birthday. <laughs> and uh, it was his last birthday party. That's the reason why I know the date. In Española with everybody. So then we moved here. Everybody, that means like 300 cousins. And, uh, <laughs> Not that yes. many buddies. <laughs> yes. It was close. <laughs> so um, we moved here, and I remember Dominic had started uh, Valley View, and he was a half-day student. So um, me and Sandra were talking in the morning, actually, before I was taking Dominic to school. And we were still living with Sandra and Matthew for a few weeks till the house got ready to move in. And we just started talking, and then she asked me if I wanted to receive Jesus in my heart, and I told her yes. So I did. 
Well, then right after that, I went to take Dominic to school. On the way over there, I get pulled over by a cop because of the tint on my car. It was too dark. It was too dark. RPD. <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were used to uh, everything tinted on our cars in Española. Nobody would bother us, but here it was obviously different. And so, you, but you gave your heart to Jesus. She told you, don't let the devil knock you off your feet because that's him just trying to, because you just prayed and yep. you didn't and it's paid off for you. Yes. Now exactly. you said in first service that two things have dramatically changed in y'all's life. One is the love, the love you have for each other, the love you have for God, the love you have for each other and your family. And then the other one was that your financial situation going from poverty to where you guys are now has changed. Talk about just the love that that's God has brought into your marriage and your family and the love you see him express to you and the kids that you never saw before. Um, it's, it's different because now I, I see it as being true. I believe him and um, I trust him. Wow, that's now. big. Yeah. You trust him yes. and you believe it because he I used to tell it. you he loved you before. But yes. it was hard to believe. Yes, it is. Because of the way he would act and the things that would happen between you guys. Yes. That's amazing. So now you trust your husband? I do, somewhat. <laughs> Tomas, you talk about the change between you and Shirley and, and just the kids, your daughter that had been drugged through much. She's already had one dad leave her. She's got another dad that's not necessarily leading her in the right direction. Then you have Dominic and... Talk about just the changes in your marriage, your relationships. So I know before Christ, it was, it was chaotic. Everything was chaotic. It was just, I would lie to get out of a lie and then sit another lie. It was just, just to do it while knowing Christ. Of course, it wasn't this, oh, it was done. I still worked through a lot of stuff. You actually answered came. an altar call here at Church on the Moon, I, right? I answered the altar call here. It wasn't that day that we had came that first time because, of course, I was mad. You were mad that, that day. So We were talking kept, about you. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I kept coming, and I was just, I just wanted to, I wanted to change. I had always called out to God that I wanted to change, but I didn't know how to do it. And, of course, by him using Sandra to bring me out here, this is what, what caused this whole change. And, and I just remember being in service one day and just answered the altar call and I said, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to give it. But of course, at that time, I still wasn't ready because I would still leave the parking lot. Like I said, in first service, I would leave the parking lot and I would light up a joint driving down towards, towards the truck. Route. Well, you, I believe you were saved, but it's a process to get free yeah. from that stuff. And so, so in my heart, I But wanted, after service, yeah. you would light up. I'd light up, drive down the truck route and this way that I would be done by the time I got to Sandra's house. So I was like, <laughs> I was still doing it. So it's it, took, a process. it took a few. It took a few times. I mean, it took a little while, and I just remember one after one service, I was driving down. I was driving down uh, Brasher, and I was hitting the, the truck route, and I was about to smoke a joint, and it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel right at all. I just looked at it, and I looked at myself, and I said, "What am I doing?" And I threw the joint out the window, and I had a bag that I had weed in still, and I threw that out the window, and I said, "Lord, I'm giving it to you. This is yours. Take it from me." And that was it. So, of course, we all have we all have our stumbling stones and our blocks. But I mean, it wasn't perfect after that, but it was better. It was a lot better. And then we, you were still smoking and doing stuff like that. And you, at a men's conference, yeah. they had them nail things to the cross, and you nailed that so to I the remember, cross. I remember in Glorietta one time that 
I, I don't remember exactly what you said, but there was a big cross right in front of the stage, and you said, write down on a piece of paper what you want to leave at the cross, and you had a hammer and some nails, and, and I, I remember I was hassling with trying to smoke, stop smoking cigarettes because I used to smoke a lot, and I just, I would quit, but then it'd just come back. I couldn't let it go, so... So that day I was sitting there and I had just opened a pack of cigarettes and I just had smoked brand one new cigarette, pack. brand new pack. And God just said, go nail it on the cross. So I took that pack of cigarettes and I put it and I nailed the cigarettes on the cross. And that was it. I stopped smoking. Stopped smoking. As a matter of fact. <laughs> Church family. Yeah, praise God. Church family, people watching online, listen, this is what I want to say to you. We see people raise their hands, and we see people do stuff, nail stuff on a cross, and we, we see people come to church, and we wonder sometimes, what happens to all these people? This, this is what happens to some of them. Right here, this is worth it all. This is worth it all. And I also want you to see, too, it's not just, it's not just here at church, but it's, our, it's you as a people. It's us as a people. Leading people to Jesus. And so we got Sandra leading Shirley at her house in the morning, just talking to her. And so it's not just, it's not just me, it's not just you, it's us, all of us doing our part to, to lead people to Jesus. All of us working together. And that's, that's what ends up, they, they're breaking cycles, generational cycles of alcoholism, drug addiction, poverty, generational cycles brokenness, divorce, messed up kids, lost, hurting, generational cycles. This is what our ministry is about. This is what Jesus' ministry was about. He came to save us. Save us from ourselves. Save us from each other. And to give us a life worth living. I say it all the time. He gives you a life worth living if you're all in. And one worth giving away to others around you. Tomas, I want to end with this. Um, just y'all's part. Tell, tell us, um, you don't have to use names or anything, but tell us what happened just a few weeks ago. You went to go fix, he's a mechanic, he's a really good mechanic. Tell us what happened a few weeks ago with, with this young lady. Or this so I went, I went to go work on a, on a car. I, I used to do mobile mechanic and I stopped doing it. I, I got away from it. And for some reason, I get a phone call, and it was a mobile mechanic phone call. And they asked if I could go and work on the truck. And I said, eh, I really, I really don't do it. And I said, eh, call me on Friday. Maybe I'll go check it out. And I kind of thought, shrugged it off like if it wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. Well, Friday morning, I get the phone call. And I said, are you still willing to work on the truck? I said, yeah, definitely. I'll go out. Went out, and I met this girl that was there that she was, she was broken. She just, she wanted something, but... I felt something and she, she just started telling me about her life. And I said, do you mind if I pray with you? And she said, yeah, definitely. We started praying and we started crying. Well, then I left and I did some work and the following couple of days later, I had to go back and finish, finish the vehicle. Well, again, we started talking and, and I asked her, have you, have, you been, have you accepted Christ? And she said, I would like to. So I prayed with her and, and led her to Christ right there in her driveway. So she came to church. She came to church that Wednesday night. She's supposed to be here. I don't know if she's here, but she was supposed to come today. But God is good. I just, I like, you know, Satan has a progression of generational curses. But Jesus became a curse for us by hanging on the cross. Now we can pass down. It's not perfect, but we can pass down now generational blessings. Amen. 
Jesus reversed the curse. But you got to be all in with him. You know, Tomas and Shirley, they serve all the time. My wife and I talk about Shirley, man. She's, every time we turn around, we're doing something, Shirley's there. Constantly serving. And she just, she's busy, man. Shirley's busy, man. She's busy. She's always doing something, making something happen. Tomas is constantly serving. They do all the things Christians do. They serve. They, they tithe. They, they, they come to church regularly. They, they drug their children to church. And they live it. And now what, what Sandra and Matthew and that family reaching their family, our church family reaching their family, is now reaching other families. And now they're the two. Here are these two people living in chaos, drugs. Tomas is the worst one of his brothers. It is true. He's telling the truth. Uh, and Shirley's, you know, just broken in another bad relationship. Now, all of their families, when they're in trouble, all call them to pray. All call them to. Shirley's family calls her. Tomas' family. It, it, nieces, nephews. I mean, they call and say, Shirley, pray. Tomas, pray. This is God taking unlikely people from an unlikely place and doing Great things. When he touches your life, this is what happens. I want to end. I want to just share one more story. You know, Thomas, uh, Doubting Thomas, the guy Thomas, the, the apostle, he, he found Jesus. He said, I found the Messiah. And he went and told his friend Nathaniel, who also becomes a follower of Christ. He says, Nathaniel, I found the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel makes this statement. He makes this statement. Can anything good come out of Espanola? <laughs> That's, he might as well have said that. He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Little did Nathaniel know that there was a young girl named Mary that lived in Nazareth, church girl. Not everybody has a story that you came out of the world. She's a church girl. She's a good Jewish girl. She's a virgin. She's 15, 14, 15, about to get married, and she's lived right. She's honored God. But she's common. She has no, she has no social status. She has no financial status. Just a common girl going to marry a common guy and you know, thinking she's going to raise her children in Nazareth like generations had before. And then the angel of the Lord shows up and says, Mary, I got a plan for you. In an unlikely place called Nazareth, Jesus is, she's, she received Jesus as her baby, as her, as her son, the Lord Jesus Christ. She, becomes impre- she gets pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And then she travels with Joseph to another unlikely place, Bethlehem. And our king that sits on the throne of heaven is born in a manger. God likes taking the things that look weak. God likes taking the things that look common. God likes taking people who who, uh, others would would not even pick in a a line to, to do anything. You and I. He likes taking people like us. But he says this in Matthew. He said, that's impossible with men, but with God. Everybody say, with God. God. Say it three times. With God, with God, with God. He said, nothing's impossible. 
With God, nothing's impossible. Nothing's impossible with God. So the question is, are you with God? A lot of people want God to be with them, but that's not how this thing works. I don't lead God. He leads me. He's God. I'm not. He's the one that takes common, ordinary vessels or weak vessels or broken vessels and makes something special out of their life. These are broken vessels that God has put back together, and now they're vessels of honor that he's pouring out his life through into their children. And they'll someday have grandchildren and their grandchildren. I look forward to the day where their grandchildren are raised. They won't ever see the drugs, the alcohol, the abuse, the chaos. It's going to be an amazing time. The question is, where are you? Are you with God or not? Because that makes the difference. Without his touch, things are impossible. But with his touch, all things are possible. Listen, every eye closed. I want you just to consider your life for a moment. Here and online, think about where you're at. Maybe you heard something from Tomas or Shirley. That's where you are. That's where you've been. Maybe that's the childhood you had. Or maybe you're like Mary. You're the, you're the church girl thinking, well, I'm just going to live an ordinary life. But God wants to touch you. He wants to touch your life. Maybe you're the father that wasn't there. But it's not too late because God can do the impossible in relationships. Maybe you're the person with no education, don't think you can accomplish anything, but God can, oh, look what he can do. Look what he can do. Tomas has helped so many people. He's fixed elderly people's cars in our church. I had no money. He's, he's worked for free so many times doing that for people. He's always a blessing. They're both a blessing. Because God touched their lives. If you're not with God, that he's your God, Jesus is the Lord of your life, that you're willing to surrender, do it now. Right now. Do it now. Surrender your life to him. Watch what he does with your life. The impossible will become possible. Or maybe, maybe you've prayed before. you've run away, walked away, went away. And you just need to come home. You just need to come home where it's good. So whether it's your first time ever praying to receive Jesus as the Lord, to be with God, to give your life to Him, or, your, or it's the next time, we want to pray with you right now online. Man, online right now, without hesitation, send us a message right now. I'm praying for the first time. I'm praying for the next time. Send it to us right now. No strings attached to that. We just, you just need to testify. You need to tell somebody. And in this room, you need to, you need to say, it's me, God, and you need to do it publicly. Jesus, Jesus said, if you, if you announce me publicly, if you confess me publicly, 
then I'll confess you before the Father. He doesn't want our Christianity to be a secret. So in this room, on the count of three, if you want to pray and get right with God, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And then after you put that hand down, right where you're seated, we're going to pray. Right online where you're at, we're going to pray. Send the message online right now in this room. One, don't even hesitate. Don't hesitate. Get right with God today. Be with him. And he'll be with you. Two, three, raise your hand up and say it's me. All over this room. Wow. All over this room. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. You can put those hands down. Let's pray. All the people in the room, all the people on, on, online, let's pray today. Right now, say this with me. And everybody pray with them. Say, God, here I am. I want to be with you. I want you to direct and guide my life. I've done it my way. It's chaos. It doesn't work. I want to do it your way. Because I believe no one loves me more than you do. Because you sent Jesus. And he died for my sins. You raised him from the dead to rescue me from the power of sin to control me in this life and to sentence me to death in the next thank you for doing that for me I believe it and so I ask you God in the name of Jesus to forgive me of all my sins and I receive right now right now your forgiveness and I say to you Jesus my life is not my own I give it to you. You are the Lord, Jesus Christ, of my life. And I receive the Holy Spirit right now. And I thank you for saving me, rescuing me, restoring me, and now teaching me how to really live in this life till I get to heaven, the next life. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. Come on, church. Let's thank God. Let's thank Tomas and Shirley for testifying. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.